the stage was empty there for a second. That was, that was bad news. Um, how are we doing today? Good. Good. Me as well. What a coincidence. Um, let me pray, and then we're going to dive into Philippians today. Uh, dear Lord, we just come before you, opening up your word, asking for uh, you to speak. God, you, you just left us this incredible gift of scripture um, that you just, you bless us with every day. And God, help us to, to see what you have us to see out of it. Um, humble our hearts and, and allow us to be receptive. Um, God, I, I pray specifically that you would help us to understand what it looks like, uh, how we can grow in, and, and just what, what to do, what to not do in terms of our righteousness with you. God, what, what do you want us to do um, to be righteous? And what does that mean? And what, what, what have you given us, God, um, that allows us to be righteous with you? So thank you for what you are about to show us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we've been in this series on Philippians. I don't know if you knew we've been in a series on Philippians, because I didn't know we've been in a series on Philippians, because I haven't preached on it in like a long time, but I, I, I was slated on the calendar to, to preach this Sunday like months ago, and like when Trey preaches, he can crank them out like every week, he's good to go. For me, it takes a solid three weeks, if not four or five of like, okay, what am I doing? Just soak in it and live in it, and, and it kind of just, it just takes a long time for me to get there. Um, and I, I, I realized um, that I had preached on like a handful of times in Philippians and that, that, that I, I felt like what God wanted was to just continue that. And it's like, okay, so hey, I guess we're doing a Philippians series. It might take 10 years. Um, we, will, we will finish it someday. Uh, so we're starting in, in Philippians 3.8. Uh, if you have a Bible in front of you and want to turn to it, that would be handy for you. Um, Words are on the screen, but we're going to jump around a little bit too. Um, and just to kind of set up, actually, let me, let me read this, and then I'll, I'll set up some context for us. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Um, so Paul's writing this letter. It's a relatively short letter. He's writing it to a, a church in the city of Philippi. Um, he's, he's been there before. He helped start this church. He goes away. And, and honestly, they're doing awesome. They're doing a really good job, and Paul's very proud of them. He's very, very loving of them. This is a very positive letter, and he's writing back to them and saying, hey, great job. Keep up the good work. Remember what's really important, okay? That's kind of this, this letter, and so we're reading just a, a, a little snippet of it here. Um, and, and Paul starts out by saying, I've suffered the loss of all things. So Paul was like the, the he, he had things set up really well for him. Okay, his, his educational background, um, his family background, like he was set as a powerful and, and, and I'll use the word righteous, Jewish man um, in, in his day. And what he's saying here is, is he's, he's willing to, not just willing to, but actually wants to give that all up. So we're, we're going to um, dive in and looking at the first, the first part of this, 
um, for, the, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So what did Paul lose? What, what is he? He's trying to set up a juxtaposition here. He's like, here's what I lost and here's what I gained. Okay? And he's saying the scale is tipped like this, where what he lost, he doesn't count it as anything. It's rubbish. Um, and, and what he lost is his career, his identity, um, respect of all of his peers. When he turned away from his Jewish status and his, and his, his job, his role um, with, within the faith and, and what, what he just had, he turned away from that to Christ. And he's, he's reminding these people that what I gave up was like nothing. So this word rubbish is an interesting one here. It, it kind of stands, at least to me, it stands out as like this proper, like British word. Um, did I do it good? Yeah, good. Um, that, that like, it, it kind of like almost doesn't fit. Um, and so you look into that, that word, and I, I think it's very proper because the word Paul used was not very proper. Um, and they're kind of trying to like smooth that over maybe. He uses a word that in other places is used for excrement, okay? Like what he's saying here is like I, I gave it all, I, I counted all his rubbish. He's saying it's all crap, okay? And I, ch- I checked with Trey, I can use that word. Um, <laughs> he said it's, it's all crap. All the stuff I had, it was, it was nothing. It's not, like, it's not like rubbish in the sense, like I, I use the word rubbish and I picture like, I don't know if you guys have this in your house, we have the value village pile, the stuff that is, you clean out the closet, you throw it in that bag, nobody takes it to Value Village, you end up with three bags there. Um, finally, fortunately, you have a, a son who's old enough to drive, and you say, hey, can you go wait in that line at Value Village to drop that stuff off? Um, that's what I think of as, like, rubbish. That's not what Paul's saying here. This is not like the stuff that you kind of keep and you hang on to it, but it's, it's over there in the corner because you don't really need it anymore because you got something better. No, this is the stuff, it's excrement. It's like we want it gone, and we want it gone now, okay? Paul's saying that what he had, the, the respect, the status that he had, um, compared to, to the love of Christ, is like, I want it gone. It's, it's like, get away from me. You're nothing. Um, so that's the word rubbish there. Um, so in this encouraging letter, why, you know, this sounds like kind of a negative thing to say, right? And, and Paul's saying that because he's comparing it to what he, what he gave it up for. Um, and that is, he goes on to say, in order that, so he gave all that up, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith. Uh, and I look at this passage, and one thing that jumps out at me is there's a lot of Christianese in here. Um, there's a lot of, like, lingo that if you're, we've been talking about kind of people generally maybe in this church being kind of middle-aged Christians, like we've kind of been through some stuff with Christ, and we're, we're ready to break through walls, but we kind of have, have things in order a little bit, and we just, we need to break through some walls and grow. Um, I think it's easy for us who have been in the faith for a while to look at some of these phrases and just kind of not, not think about it. And they kind of lose their meaning. And Paul did not write these things for them to lose their meaning. They are, they are dripping with meaning. So I want to actually like look at a couple of these um, specifically. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to go deep dive on the, on the concept of righteousness. But before we do, um, 
the idea of gaining Christ, okay, that's in here. In order that I, he counts everything else as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. What does that mean? Christ is added to us. It's a win, okay? There's, there's a win there, but it's like a win that sticks to you, and you, you continue to benefit from it. You gain Christ. Christ is added to us. Um, it is found in him. We are found in him. We are seen, particularly we are seen by God, as we are seen, God, God is looking at us and, and seeing Jesus. He's looking at us through a filter or a lens that is Jesus and seeing us. We are found. Our identity is found in him. Don't let these words go by and just be Christianese. Like, understand what we're saying here. Um, and this happens through faith. Faith is the path that allows this to happen. It's not some achievement. It's not some formula of if I, if I do X, Y, Z, or if I can be sinless, whatever that looks like for X amount of time, then, then Y is going to happen? No, it's through faith. Through faith. Righteousness, whatever that means, it happens through faith. And this actually was like the shocking message of, of early Christianity, okay? You had, you had a culture where it was all about achievement. It was all about obedience. Um, uh, dedicated Jews had a list of depending on how you count them, either 611 or 632 rules that they were supposed to follow um, in, in the Torah, and then it had been expanded and added to, and they had all these rules to follow, and that is how you got righteousness, okay? There was a path laid before them, and it's through following all these rules, and, and through the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and Paul's breaking that down and explaining that to us here, through that path... Um, Paul's coming in and saying this radical thing, like absolutely radical, that no, those 611 laws, no, rubbish. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a radical statement, okay? Um, it, it got people killed, many people. So don't, don't just gloss over that, um, that righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to go deep dive on righteousness. Um, I hope you're ready for that. Uh, I'll credit Tim Keller for a lot of this stuff. He did a, a little sermon series on the armor of God, and he actually did two Sundays, two, two full sermons on the breastplate of righteousness. And we're not going to talk about the, that's from Ephesians, we're not going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness, but kind of some of the stuff on righteousness was really, really helpful. Um, so Lenore, if we go to the next slide, we're going to define it, and then we're going to follow it through this framework that I'll, I'll talk more about, but this framework, we can look at the whole Bible through creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Um, and we're going to look at righteousness in each phase of that framework. And then we're going to identify some problems. This is not like a, um, a thing that is easy, okay? This is not a thing that is easy. So we're going to identify some problems with righteousness and, and possible solutions with it. Okay, so defining righteousness. Um, just the, my fancy Bible software um, can spit out cool translations and stuff. And so looking at, at how the, the Greek and Hebrew words that are translated righteousness and how, how they are used elsewhere, and so you can kind of piece together definitions. Righteousness can be seen as to be straight, to pass inspection, to be up to standard, or to be right with, which is kind of like a relational component to righteousness there, to be right with somebody um, or to be right with God. Um, Tim Keller gives a definition that is, I think, really helpful um, it to be like examined and approved. In other words, to be presentable, 
Okay, I'm going to really kind of circle back on that one, to be presentable. To be able to stand before someone and be presentable and feel presentable. Okay, um, that's one way to think about righteousness. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, a moral psychologist, not a Christian, um, in, a, in his book called The Righteous Mind, he, he defines it as, or he, he just makes the comment, honestly, just an obsession with righteousness is the normal human condition. An obsession with righteousness is a normal human condition. And Tim Keller said something similar. He says, the struggle to be presentable in the eyes of the significant people, people that we need to please, is something that is at the center of all of our souls. And I heard that statement, and I read that Jonathan Haidt statement, and I said, really? I don't think so. I think they're kind of overstating it. This was like five weeks ago when I was just starting ruminating on this stuff. And the more I ruminated on it, I, I realized, like, actually, yeah, kind of. Like, that, that is, I, I do see in, in myself and, and in culture and, and what I know about other cultures and other places and other times, like, there is an obsession with righteousness. And I, I think I can prove that to you. So a couple examples, one off the wall and one that I know you'll relate to. Um, one of them is, so last week, midwinter break, we talked about um, my family had just an incredible blessing, got to go to a beautiful place called Belize, a little island off of Belize, and we got to go snorkeling with sharks, and it was super fun, and I was super scared. Um, <clears throat> they, and so we go out on this boat, and, and we had watched some YouTube videos about this, so I say I was scared. That's, that's well, I was going to say that's an exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration. I was a little scared, um, and I expected the tour guides to be like, okay, here's Here's the rules. Here's how you stay right with the sharks, okay? Here's how you stay presentable and not present as food to the sharks. I was really concerned about not presenting as food. And we get out to this spot, and these, these sharks all gather at this spot because historically, this is where the fishermen would come and clean their fish, and so the sharks would gather and eat it. And, and, but then because that happened, now the tourists come, and the tour guides throw fish in the water to attract the sharks. Um, and our tour didn't do that, so we're, we're high and mighty um, and can look down on other tours that did that. But, we, but the, the point is, the sharks were there, and we pull up there, and, and we, we stop the boat, and we'd been snorkeling before, kind of knew what we were doing snorkeling-wise. Um, but I wanted to know the rules, right? How do you pre stay presentable with the sharks? Because I don't want them to eat. Like, if they come at me, do I bop them in the nose? You know, is this like a keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle thing? Like, what are the rules? And we stop, and the guy just says, okay, you can get in the water now. And I kind of look around. I, I didn't talk to you guys about this, but I was, like, slowly putting on my gear. I did not want to be the first one in the water because um, I, I didn't know how to not present as food. I didn't know how to be presentable to the sharks. Um, turns out, super docile, very well-fed. They didn't care that we were there, like, no issues at all. Um, but I was very concerned about, and I know it's kind of a silly example, but about, about my righteousness, my, my presentability to the sharks. Okay, another example. To, to just prove Jonathan Haidt's point, an obsession with righteousness is the normal human condition. You all put on clothes this morning. You all put on clothes this morning. 100%. Good job, everybody. Why? So that you could be presentable here. Like, there's a, there's a standard, right? We're, we're living according to a standard. Now, that's a very 
broad, and fortunately, this is not a very, you know, stuffy church, and so there's a, there's a wide range of acceptable outfits at this church, but you have an outfit on, so, and, and you did that to be presentable, um, and you probably could have pulled other outfits out of your closet, too, but you pulled that one out for a reason, because that's your church outfit. It's comfortable, but it doesn't look sloppy, okay? I know how you all think, um, <clears throat> But there's, there's, an, there's, a, there's a desire to be presentable, okay? And that is, that is deep down. And those are both like kind of silly examples, kind of on the fringe, but there is a, a core presentability desire here that, that we will get to. Um, one little side note. Let me see. Yeah, one little side note. So I don't want to assume that everybody is, is at a, a stage where they recognize a desire, they feel a desire to be righteous or presentable before God. I don't want to assume that. And in fact, as, as we go out into the world, you absolutely cannot assume that, right? That everybody wants to be righteous before God. Um, and I just want to say one, one possibility, one possible approach to the, the problem of righteousness is to just ignore it and just say, hey, I don't need to be presentable to anybody, Okay. That is actually an approach that I think a lot of people in our culture are trying. It's like, hey, it's all about me. I don't need to be presentable to anybody else. And I just want to point out, um, because Tim Keller points it out, and I think it's a very good point, that to, to do that, I, number one, I don't think you can actually do it. I don't think you can actually do it. Um, because at the very least, you want to be presentable to yourself. You want to walk out the door in the morning knowing that you're wearing an appropriate outfit for the day, Okay at the very, very least. Um, and so at the very, very least, you're going to judge yourself. And, and more to the point, you would have to set your standards. In order to say, I don't need to be presentable to anybody else, you would have to set your standards incredibly low. You would have to set an incredibly low bar for yourself and keep it there and never move it, okay? Because you're going to grow over time. You're going to change. And so as even just you, as you look back at yourself you know, we, we all made mistakes when we were younger, okay? Even young people in the room, you can look back and say, yeah, I made mistakes. Um, that, that is a, an issue of presentability that you might even have with your future self, with your future self 10 minutes from now or with your future self 10 years from now. Um, so even, even if you're not worried about being righteous or presentable before God, um, you, you are, I think there is a, a deeply held desire to be presentable, and, and to, try to, to try to ignore that and try to not do that, you just have to set the bar so low for yourself, I actually don't even think it's possible. So we're going to look at this, this framework, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's just a way to look at the whole entire story of the Bible. Um, creation, we have Adam and Eve in the garden, sin comes into the world, that's, that's the fall, and so then we have this whole period of time where man and God are kind of wrestling with how to... Um, how to kind of get back together. Sin's into the world and, and broken this relationship between man and God. And, and how, do we, how do we then come back together with God? And sure enough, God has a plan. And that plan comes through the, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And now we live in this time of redemption where we have that available to us. We have faith in Christ available to us. And then there's a future coming or, or in process, you could look at it, um, restoration of God's world um, that, that is coming. And so we're going to look at, at righteousness through this whole framework. So 
Righteousness in creation, we have this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve in the garden. God's created beings. He's created everything else and looked at it and said, it is good. And then he creates Adam and Eve and says, very good. Okay, what, a, what an honor. I mean, could you imagine being there and just being told uh, above, uh, over and above everything else, you are very good. And they are literally, unlike us this morning, they are naked and unashamed. Okay, um, they did not put on an outfit and they're okay with that. They are right with God. Um, they are, they're literally physically with God and they are righteous with God in the garden. Um, that's kind of God's original design for us. And then sin comes into the world. There's temptation. They make a simple, little, but not little, um, mistake and, and seek after their own will. They think they know better than God, and they eat the apple. And then we have this, the fall. And what's the first thing they do after sin comes into the world? They hide. They hide. They hide themselves. They get little fig leaves. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, and they go hide behind trees. Um, and, and God comes and says, where are you? He knows. But the first thing they're doing is they're hiding. They're not righteous. They're not presentable. And they know it immediately. Okay? And so they have to deal with that. Um, Lenore, if we go to the next slide. Yeah, so... There's a deep sense, like a deep and immediate sense of not being presentable to God. Um, we, we can repress that by, or try to, um, repress that, that lack of presentability with God by trying to be presentable to others. I think it's a, it's a real temptation where, I, I'll just speak for myself, and maybe this is not true of you, um, but I feel like if I cannot be presentable to God, but if I can be presentable to others, if everybody else can think I'm, I'm okay, like, gosh, that, that would mean a lot to me, right? That would go a long ways. Um, and that's, that's wrong thinking, to try to hide that lack of righteousness with God by seeking righteousness, seeking presentability with others. Um, Abraham, uh, if we could go back, Lenore. Abraham and, and, and Moses we're going to look at. So Abraham was a man of faith. Okay, Abraham's this, this guy, he's, he's, a, he's, he's got kind of a, a wealthy stockpile of animals and big extended family. Um, he's doing great. And God comes to him and says, I choose you. I want you to go to a land that I will show you. That's pretty much all he says to him. Abraham, the, the next verse, Genesis 12, 4 says, so Abram went. He just goes. Abraham is a man of faith. He's not a perfect man, okay? Not once, but twice. He, he claims that his wife is his sister so that it will protect him physically. Um, he's not a very good parent. Um, he, he makes some mistakes. But Abram is a man of faith. Um, he, has, he has faith in God. And the scripture tells us a number of times that his faith was counted to him as righteousness, okay? Living in that time before the law, before God's kind of instruction came to Moses, um, Abraham you know, had, had faith in God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Moses then, you know, fast forward years and years, um, Moses is tasked with leading the Israelites uh, out, of, out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he's given the law, okay? God comes and gives instruction to Moses to give to his people, and it's this big deal in, in the whole narrative of the Bible. It's a really big deal because they can't live up to it. 
Um, they can't live up to it. And so Moses himself, um, a little bit, but the people for sure, over and over again, they just keep messing it up. In fact, almost immediately after they're given the law, and the first one says, take no other God before me, they go and literally build a physical God that they can worship. Like they just, but it's so easy to read that stuff though and be like, haha, those people and point the finger and you got, what, what, you got three, three fingers pointed back at you when you're pointing one finger. Um, so we do the exact same thing. So I don't want to say it's just all about their mistakes, but they cannot live up to the law. It's almost as if the law were there to point out that we can't live up to the law and we need a savior. It's almost as if, huh? Okay. Um, and then we have, we have problems. In this period of the fall, there are problems with righteousness. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. If, if we're not perfect, if we can't perfectly live up to the law, that presents a problem, okay? Um, we also can't live up to all people's standards across time and culture. Again, even if you wanted to say, okay, my righteousness before God is not going to be important to me, um, even if that... To, to try to live up to other people's expectations all the time is just not possible. There are too many eyes, okay? You can't be righteous in everybody's eyes all the time. There's just too many eyes. Um, the other thing is we're just not good enough with any sort of consistency, and we know that. We know that from our lives. We know that from seeing it in Scripture over and over and over again. Um, yeah, we are not good enough with any kind of consistency. So these are problems. There are ways to deal with the problems, we have options, okay? Let's look at a couple options of how to deal with these problems. There are, there are secular options, secular ways to deal with these problems. And, and when I say secular, I, like, again, let's not point the finger at others. I, as, I, as I go through these, um, myself reflecting on them and you guys maybe hearing them, um, don't just sit there and say, oh, yeah, I see that in other people. Oh, yeah, my boss does that. Oh, yeah, my mom does that. Um, okay. That might be true. Um, but you might be missing something as far as, oh, yeah, I do that. Oh, yeah, I, I need to um, not rely on these secular ways of dealing with the problem of righteousness. I need to lean on God. So one is, is pleasing others. Okay, we've talked about that, seeking righteousness from others. Um, another is a focus on career. If I can be su successful in career, then my, my lack of righteousness before God is, is not, maybe not as much of an issue and could be kind of hidden a little bit. Um, another is relativism. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as those people. Um, another is to seek power. Okay, if you think about it, if, if you seek power, power can help you define righteousness. Power can help you define righteousness. If you get to be the one to say, I was right because I say I'm right, because I have power, um, that can be a way of hiding that need for true righteousness before God. Um, and others just, again, seeking approval of others. So uh, in, in this, while we're talking about these secular ways of righteousness, I, I don't know if this is on topic, so maybe I owe you an apology for going off topic, but a couple things came to mind as far as like some quote-unquote Christian phrases that I want to make sure are not actually just secular ways to achieve righteousness. Um, and so I'll, I'll say three things. One of them is kind of a hot-button issue. Um, the first one is, is, you see it on sweatshirts and stuff, and I, I, I like it. These are good things, okay? Everything I'm about to say is, are good things if we look at them through the right frame and if we understand what they're saying and what they're not saying. Um, I've seen it on sweatshirts and stuff lately, the, the phrase, I'm enough, and I think that's great. 
if we realize it's, I'm enough because of Christ. I'm enough because of what Christ has done for me. Not, I'm enough because, look at me, I'm, here I am, this is, this is all I need to be, I'm perfect, or I'm, I'm enough, I'm good enough, okay? You are, you are enough, that is a true statement, because of what Christ has done for you, okay? Um, another one is, you hear it sometimes, is God loves you just the way you are. And I would want to say, God loves you just the way that he sees you through his son, Jesus. So yeah, it's a true statement. God loves you just the way you are. But God loves you just the way you are because of the way he sees you through his son. Okay, the other one, hot button. <laughs> hot button issue here. Um, there was a Super Bowl commercial, a little controversy. I'm not on Christian Twitter. Christian Twitter may or may not have blown up. Um, he gets us, okay? Um, I, I would just say, yeah, that is true. That is a, that is a good statement. Let's understand it rightly, that, that he gets us. He gets our need for a savior, okay? He, he, he doesn't get us as like, he gets me all that I am and, and good to go, done. No, he gets that I need a savior and he has provided that, okay? Um, so let, I just, I don't know if it's on topic or not. I just wanted to go through those and be like, the, let's make sure these are not just secular ways to achieve righteousness. Let's make sure that we are actually, I'm enough. God loves you just the way you are. He gets us that these are actually pointing us to Christ. Um, and I, I think they can be. Okay, so another way to achieve, quote, achieve righteousness, right? Um, this this uh, missionary to Native Americans in Massachusetts in the early 1700s, um, who I know about because Tim Keller talked about in his sermons. I'm not reading biographies of 1700s missionaries too often. Um, guy's name is David Brainerd brain nerd. I'm glad he wasn't a middle schooler in the 1990s. Um, David Brainerd was a missionary, and, and he, he actually only lived to be like 24, um, but he left behind a bunch of journals of, of his work as a missionary. And then Jonathan Edwards published all those journals, and, and kind of that's how kind of he, he and his work became known. Um, but this is a passage from one of his journals, and it's actually, it, it goes on, it's obviously longer than this, but the, the parts before, he's going through all the stuff that he has done to serve God. All the, like, this guy has done a ton, okay? He gave up his life. He went into ministry. He's, like, in ministering to uh, Native Americans in Massachusetts in the 1700s. This is not an easy life. He says, I realized, after doing all this stuff, he said, I realized that what I was doing, I realized that I was doing every one of my religious duties for my own glory. I was doing it to feel worthy. As long as I was doing all of this to earn my salvation, I was actually doing nothing for God. It was all for me. I realized that my struggling to become worthy or presentable or righteous was an exercise in self-worship. I was not worshiping him. Rather, I was using him. Its righteousness was not by any contrivances of mine, but entirely by the righteousness of Christ. So he's talking about kind of this pivot moment in his life where he realized, I've done all these things. I've done all this religious activity. And maybe you can relate to this. And he's done all this religious activity to gain righteousness. And he realized, if I do it to gain righteousness, that's self-serving. That's not worshipful. That's not, it's, it's not doing its job. And, you know, I, I, 
kind of reflecting on this in, in our here, here and now, in the here and now of I-90 Community Church, you know, the religious activities that are kind of, that are available to us, like, there are, there are lots of things we can do, lots of things we can do. I just want to focus on one that we all do, that again, you all did this morning, and that's just coming to church, okay? Coming to church is a religious activity. It is something that you can do. It is a concrete step that you can do. And what David Brainerd is saying here is that <clears throat> to do something like that out of just a pure, like, I, I need to do this, well, how do I say this? I need to do this to achieve something. I need to do this because it's just the thing that you do. Um, that's, I, w- I wouldn't discourage that, okay? Glad you're all here, 100%. I, I wouldn't discourage that, but you don't do it for yourself. You do it for worship of God, okay? You do it for the fact that um, we, we need Christ, and this, this is just one little thing we can do, showing up here and spending an hour, hour and a half, depending on how long I keep talking, um, is just one little thing that we can do that can help us get closer to Christ, that can help us. But it's not, it's not the end, okay? The end is the relationship with Christ. The end is faith, and it's the faith that helps us get righteousness. It's not just going through the motions and going through the activities. Um, okay, one other... Lenore, what do I have on the next slide? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's faith in Christ that is what makes us righteous. And we'll, we'll circle back and we'll look at this, this Philippian scripture again. But I just, I want to point out to you guys, especially as we look at this, this framework of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, us sitting here in this period of restoration, um, we, or you, as one who knows Christ, in this age of, I said restoration, I meant redemption. In this age of redemption, we have Christ. We can have faith in Christ. We have it better than Abraham. We have it better than Moses. We have it better than Adam and Eve did from the moment they ate that apple. We have it better than David Brainerd did um, before he realized that he couldn't earn his salvation. When Paul said he gave up every good thing for what he had and not just gave up what, not just gave it up, but literally said it's all crap. Um, that thing he was seeking instead of everything else, you have it. You have it. Not through your own achievement, but you have it. In terms of righteousness, you, we, have it better than literally anyone in human history from the time of the fall up through the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, okay? That is amazing. We have access to something simply through faith in Christ that so many people did not have. Um, so I'm going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, just run through a handful of scriptures that kind of demonstrate this and what, what Christ did for us. So um, what did Christ do for 1 Peter 3.18? Let me read it out of here. <clears throat> for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. God did that, okay? Not us. God did that. The righteous for the unrighteous. And then Philippians 2, from earlier in the letter we were just looking at. What did Christ do? How did he do it? 
So how did he do this? From Philippians 2, 6. Um, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... <clears throat> every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What did Jesus Christ do? He's with God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. So who did he do this for? Romans 5.8. <clears throat> Romans 5.8. He did it, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So this is something that we received while we were still sinners. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. It's not something that we've achieved. This path to righteousness through faith in Christ is like, all we can do is say, thank you, Lord. Honestly, all we can do is say, thank you, Lord. Have faith and receive that. Um, last week, uh, actually, this, this morning I woke up a little earlier than I... <clears throat> needed to, which is totally fine, and my phone was downloading this 57-minute-long sermon podcast from last week here at I-90 Community Church. Um, <clears throat> and so I listened to that this morning, and, and Trey brought in this verse from, um, from Luke. There we go. From Luke 12. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and the one who has been trusted with much, even more will be expected. And Trey kind of brought the point that, like, you can't just look at the, like, what's expected side of the circle. Everyone who has been given much, we have been given so much. And it's given, not achieved, given. Uh, Romans 11, 34, 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. There's this circle. And I, I, that's one of my favorites. I've had that memorized. I didn't want to put pressure on myself and try to recite it in front of you. But I had that memorized for years. It's one of my favorites. But that, that circle of like from him and through him and to him are all things. So let's not forget about the from him. Okay? This amazing gift that we have from God to be able to have righteousness so what does it look like to have righteousness from God? A um, couple kind of <clears throat> Bible nerdy words, theology words, imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Um, in, this, in this age of redemption where we can have faith in Christ and that, that gives us righteousness, that makes us presentable before God, that righteousness is imputed. In other words, it kind of like covers us. And this happens at salvation. This happens, we, we believe in God, we accept this, we have faith, that righteousness is imputed, okay? Think of it as like a, a covering, okay, where God now looks at you and he sees Jesus. That's, that is done. Um, 
but yet your heart is still being worked on, right? That you are still growing, and we're, we're talking about that a lot. You, you was, I hope you will always be growing, honestly. Um, and that is that imparted righteousness. It is like, the picture in my mind is like God's fist with a fistful of righteousness. I don't know what that looks like, but he's got a fistful of righteousness, and it's coming down, and it's just like supernaturally, boom, inside, opens it up, and it just starts to spread. And there's some immediate changes, and there's some long-term changes. Um, and there's some things that I, I hope, again, will continue happening forever. That's that imparted righteousness. And we live in this time of like, like again, I'll just speak for myself. I feel like I'm in this time of like, it's imparted and I'm growing, but man, I'm not perfect. And so I need that imputed righteousness. I need the covering that, G, that faith in Jesus provides so that God sees me as righteousness, as righteous. And also, I need to continue to grow and I need that slow release of imparted righteousness, and I need to be doing the, the become spiritual practices that we've been talking so much about um, in order for God to continue to be able to work in me. Um, it's, it's both of these. Okay, so next phase of our biblical framework is restoration, and this actually kind of gets, gets us back to our, our main scripture as well. Um, so this is like the second, second part of, of uh, the little phrase we're looking at today. Um, so Paul's saying all this happens so I can have righteousness through faith so that, so there's a so that. It's all, it's all for a purpose here. So Paul's got a, a reason that he wants all this to happen. So that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Um, there's not a need to strive. We're not... We're not sitting here boxing against the wind trying to make something happen. No, Christ has done this. Um, it, it, this happens through faith in Christ. And it, Paul's saying this so that by the power of the resurrection, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And I'll just be, I'll be up front with you. There's a lot I don't know about what the resurrection of the dead looks like. There's a lot I don't know. Um, I do know a couple things, though. I know that there's an incredible power there. We see it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as, as the firstborn from the dead. Um, we see it. Yeah, it, it, there, there's an incredible power there that, that God has. And I also know that there's this beautiful, like, reconciling, this coming together, this becoming and, and physically being presentable with God. Um, there's just a, a supernatural righteousness there. Um, I've had some funny conversations with, with specifically Christian men over the years about what resurrection looks like and, you know, chiseled abs and am I 24 and like, what, what does this look like? And like, I don't, I don't know. And, and honestly, it doesn't matter. And honestly, I don't think we'll care. I don't think we'll care. I think that presence with God in that way is, is what it is all about in that resurrection power that, that Paul is seeking. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to take communion today, but I just want to, I want to emphasize one thing, and then I want to give you guys a chance to reflect while we're doing communion, that what I want to emphasize is that we have access to righteousness. I want to make sure that's crystal clear, okay? We have access to righteousness in one way only, and that is through faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. 
Um, we can't achieve it, okay? The little tendencies that we might have to try to achieve it certain ways or the way that we see other people who might even deny the need for righteousness, um, trying to achieve their version of righteousness, they're there. Let's acknowledge them. But we, we have one way to access righteousness. We have one way to be presentable to God, and he has given us that way. He has done the work. Our role is to say yes and, and to have faith in God. Um, so we're going we're gonna to start our last worship song. We're going to try this do, this, do this. do this a little bit different. We'll see how it works. Um, we're going to start the last worship song, um, and then while, while we're worshiping, we can come on up and grab the, the bread and, and the, the wine that, um, that are just representation of, of what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to take that back to our seat. And then I'm going to try to like kind of be out of the way and just let God words, God's word speak. So we're going to kind of pause the song. Trey will tell me when. And then I'm just going to read the, the first half of the scripture we're looking at from Philippians 3. Um, and then we'll take, we'll take the bread as a remembrance of, of Christ's body and what he's done for us. And then I'm going to read. I'm not going to say anything else. So you got to follow. you got to remember and follow instructions here. Um, and then, so we'll, we'll take the bread, and then I'll read the second half. And the reason I want to do it that way is I want whatever the Holy Spirit is like working on you with, whatever little piece of this, whether it's the, the idea of all the stuff you could have had before being rubbish, or whether it's the idea of, of just what righteousness is and how we get that through faith, whether it's the power of the resurrection or, or most likely it's something that I haven't even thought of and, and didn't present to you, but God is working on you on. I want you to be able to just be reflective on that while we're taking communion. So we'll worship. We'll grab our stuff, uh, read a little bit, take the bread, read a little bit, take the wine, and then we'll finish worshiping. Okay. We ready?